Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Today, together, we are diving into chapter 7 of the Gospel of John, and we have been in a series that we're calling Iconic, and because um, we are looking at the most iconic figure in human history. And I've, I've mentioned this a few times. Um, you probably know this already, but if you do a simple Google search, just a simple search for the most influential people in history, and we're going to look at this in just a minute, on every single list that I've been able to find, Jesus is at the top. Jesus is at the top of that list. And it's, it's just a matter of numbers. It's just a simple matter of numbers. There are more people, billions upon billions of people who have believed in Jesus as the Son of God, as the God-man sent from heaven to earth to rescue us, to save us from sin and death. And so it's very important, I believe, for us to take some time and to examine, to look at, to figure out who is this man? Who is Jesus? What is he all about? What's the big deal regarding Jesus? And as I was reading John chapter 7, I was so struck because John 7, the, almost the whole chapter is centered, if I had to summarize it for you, it's centered around one big theme. Who is Jesus? You see throughout the entire chapter of John 7, you see arguments around who Jesus is. In, in verse 12, and you don't have to put this up on the side screen, I, I just wanna, I want you to hear this, okay? In verse 12, it says this, there was much murmuring, muttering, whispering, discussion about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said no, he is a deceiver leading the people astray. It's amazing to me because there are so many claims made about Jesus in this chapter. Some believe him to be a good man. Some believe him to be an evil man, a threat. Some believe him to be a prophet, a great teacher, a miracle worker. But the question is, is Jesus actually who he claims to be? Because he didn't claim to be any of those things. In fact, Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh, sent for one purpose, to rescue humanity from sin and death. I remember growing up when we lived in Georgia, when we would vacation, we would uh, hop on I-75 and head south towards Florida. And I have no idea, I'm guessing some investor, some uh, some Christian investor or maybe a series of churches, they decided that one of the ways they were going to advance the mission of Jesus in the world was to buy a series of billboards along I-75. No shame in that. Not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But um, there were four billboards that they would buy. They would purchase these, and they're about a quarter mile apart. And they probably purchased... Uh, somewhere between like 10 and 15 
different sets of four billboards between Atlanta and like Destin or Panama City, okay? And, and here's how the billboards went, okay? The first one was like, pow, Jesus, okay? And you're like, okay, Jesus, there he is, I-75 on the billboard, okay, Jesus, okay? About a quarter mile later, you see the next one, it's is, Okay, Jesus is. If you miss the first one, you're like, is. What is, you know? The next one is the. Okay, where are we, where are we going with this? Jesus is the, and you're like waiting for the next one. Answer. Like 15 times between Atlanta and Florida, you're getting this sequence of billboards. Jesus is the answer. And it begs the question, the answer to what? <laughs> It's not a bad statement to put for, you know, millions of people to see who would be driving along the interstate. But what struck me around John chapter seven is if the Pharisees or the people of Jerusalem, if they, you know, pulled their money and put together, you know, some money for a billboard, what they would probably say is something like this. Jesus is the problem. We don't, if he is the answer, we don't know what he's answering or what his answer is all about. We just know he's creating a lot of issues. The religious leaders, the Roman authorities, even the people, they're all concerned and confused. Who is this man and what is he about? Because he's not fitting into any of our categories. And as soon as we want to call him like a great moral teacher or as soon as we want to, you know, lift him up as something amazing, he goes and says something crazy or he goes and does something that just blows our minds and completely breaks out of the boxes or the categories that we are trying to put him in. And so, you know, they're thinking he's a great man. He's a, these are just some of the things that come up in John chapter seven, okay? Some claim that he's a good man, some a deceiver. Some say he's a prophet sent from God. Some call him just a great teacher. He's a great moral teacher. He's a miracle worker. Some say he's demonized, demon-possessed or insane. And then others said, maybe he is the Christ. Maybe he's divine. Maybe he's God. But the crazy thing is this, nobody, Nobody who's made the list of the most influential people on the planet, and if you Google it, if you look it up, you're gonna see some names that keep popping up in the top 10 over and over and over again. Gandhi, Muhammad, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, MLK Jr., the Wright brothers, Da Vinci, Einstein, Newton, Socrates, Moses. Even Moses made the list, okay? I mean, he's the head of Judaism, right? None of these people, one massive, massive difference between everybody else who made the list and then the number one person on the list who was Jesus, but the main issue was this, none of those people claimed to be God. Not a single one of them claimed the things that Jesus claimed. In fact, throughout history, just think about it, Anybody who claimed deity, who said, I am God, and demanded full allegiance to himself, demanded full and total faith in himself, 
Anybody who claims to be God and demands total faith in themselves, we immediately put them into the category of just an insane, psychotic crackpot. Come on, somebody, like a Jim Jones or something, right? Like, they are crazy people. Don't be around them because um, they're going to lead you ultimately astray to do something crazy. And so it's no surprise that there were people in Jesus's day that kept trying to label him as an insane person because he said crazy things. He made... in claims that no human being could make and then still be considered a credible source of information. He made claims that no other human has ever made. Sorry, that's a quote I want to get to in a second. I thought about this because, you know, in today's world, in our day and time, it's not that hard to get famous, I mean, it is. You got to put some hustle and work into it. Um, but there are more famous humans on the planet right now than any other time in human history. Why? Social media, YouTube, right? I, I was trying to look up some stats this week on how many people on Instagram have a million followers or more worldwide. There are over 14 million people worldwide with a million followers or more. That's, that is crazy to me. 14 million people on Instagram with at least a million followers. Now, some of those have like 500 million followers. Ronaldo being the top guy, in case you're wondering, on Instagram. Same is true for YouTube. A whole nother, a whole nother section of people on YouTube have become wildly famous. Wildly famous. Fame is just there for the taking for anybody that has the desire, the drive, the will, and just whatever it would be, like I'm gonna try and become famous. It is easier than ever in human history to become famous. And what struck me was this. I came across this, this meme. Maybe you've seen it. This is so awesome. Uh, have fun at work today and remember that there are seven-year-olds opening toys on YouTube and making double your annual income in one month. <laughs> Oh, don't we all just love life right now? Uh, it's so true, though. I remember when my kids were younger and they would come across these unboxing videos on YouTube. Have you seen these? And it's just kids opening the coolest and the latest new gifts and playing with them. And they're sponsored by every major toy company on the planet. And they're making insane amounts of money. So um, praise God for how the world is today. Um, very easy to become famous, but Jesus, the number one most influential, most famous human who ever lived, had no social media, no printing press. He wasn't the king of a nation, a physical nation on earth. It's a king of heaven, that counts. Um, he wasn't a political leader or a political figure in any way. He didn't have an army. He didn't lead an army. He was, he was obscure. Most of his ministry was accomplished in Galilee, which isn't even Jerusalem, which Jerusalem was a tiny little outpost in the Roman Empire. He was in like the backwoods of the backwoods doing miracles and, and proclaiming his teachings to this rural agrarian fishing community. And yet somehow this 
man, this God man has become the most influential figure in human history. All atheists, all Christians, all agnostics agree. Nobody even comes close. Nobody even comes close. And yet he said things like this. John 5, 18, talking of the Jewish leaders, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, trying to kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath by healing the paralyzed man on the Sabbath, if you remember that, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Making himself equal with God. You can't just be a good moral teacher or a prophet if in the name if in the next sentence you're making yourself equal with God. He goes on. Think about this. Think about Jesus saying this. Who says this? Sometimes we have to take ourselves out of just the church setting and try and listen with fresh ears. Listen to what he said in John 6:51. He said, "I am the living bread that came down from heaven." I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, okay? Whoever eats, that's another word for believes in me. This is an analogy he's using. Whoever eats this bread, the living bread, that's Jesus, that's himself, will live forever. Who says that and gets away with it and is still considered a good moral teacher? Nobody. You're considered crazy unless it's true, okay? This bread is my flesh. It gets worse, okay? This bread is my flesh. He's speaking of his body, okay? Wait, Jesus, are you saying, what are we talking about here? Cannibalism? This sounds really extreme. No, hang on, here we go. Which I will give for the life of the world. I'm going to give my body as a sacrifice for the life of the whole world. Okay, in case you had questions on who Jesus is, he is not a good moral teacher. He has some amazing moral teachings that we believe are the foundation of truth on how humans should live. Yes, but teachers and prophets, they point to the way. They point to the truth. Teachers and prophets are the ones that say, hey, you need to live in that way. You need to move in that direction. Here's what God would say to you. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the life. I'm the only way back to the Father. He's not teaching people about a way that they should live. He's teaching people about himself. He's like, I am the truth. I'm the ground of all being. I'm the source of all knowledge starts with me, and I'm going to give my life for the entire world. He goes on, verse 53, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Okay. <laughs> Jesus is doing this on purpose. I want you to look at this quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says something amazing about Jesus. I wanna put this quote up and I wanna read this for us real quick because he captures it so well. I do believe the quote is coming. I'll read it in case it's not. Boom, here we go. 
He says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept you. This is what people say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would, be, would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. Okay, he goes on. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us and he did not intend to. Come on, C.S. Lewis. He's still preaching. But nobody says things like this unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, and he's using it as a metaphor. That's why we take communion every week. The, the bread and the, the juice, the grape juice, it symbolizes the sacrifice of Jesus for the world. And what he is saying in this analogy is that those who believe that I died for their sins on the cross, those who receive my broken body and my spilled blood as the sacrifice for their sins, and those who believe that I rose again on the third day, I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus says, I'm gonna be the one there on the last day raising you from the dead. Okay, either he's insane are y'all hearing this like for the first time? Are y'all with me? Like normal people don't talk like this. You can't just be like, oh, I love Jesus's teaching. Turn the other cheek, you know? Love your enemies. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Anybody who doesn't is dead forever and separated from God. Unless you believe in me, the living bread from heaven, you do not have eternal life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whew. He says, I am, that I am, right? He is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the only way back to the Father. Friends, he demanded full and total allegiance. He demanded belief and faith in himself as the way to truth and life. He claimed to be the only way to God, the source of life, the source of truth. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. He claimed preexistence. He claimed to be the one returning to rule and judge the entire world and to raise all the dead on the last day. He claimed to be God. Friends, and here's what I love. As you read through the Gospels, have you noticed just the casual things that Jesus says that are so outlandish? He'll heal somebody and he'll just look at them and be like, your sins are forgiven. I'm forgiving your sins. That made the Jewish leaders very upset. Why? Who can forgive sins? God. Who does this guy think he is? That he can just dole out forgiveness however he sees fit. There's this moment where he's near the end of his life, he's about to go into Jerusalem. 
and he's about to be crucified for the sins of the world, and he is weeping over the city of Jerusalem, and he just, there's people all around him, and he just casually says, I have sent you prophets, I have sent you wise men and teachers, but you've not listened, you've turned your heart away, you've missed your hour, I'm here, and you're missing me. Did you hear what he said? He goes, I sent you the prophets. I sent you the wise teachers. Wait, hold up. Jesus, time out. What? Are you claiming to be, you know, the source of truth, the God eternal in the universe who sends prophets into the world to speak on his behalf? Yes, I am. I'm the one that sent the prophets. Who is this man? Is he a good man? Is he a great moral teacher? Nobody says things like this and gets away with it. Nobody can say things like this and actually still be considered a credible source of information. Like C.S. Lewis said, either he's a lunatic, he's crazy, or he is who he says he is. He's God. You see, the problem with Jesus is that he did not come in the way that the Jewish authorities, in the way that anybody was expecting him to come. He didn't even come to solve the problems that everybody was hoping the Messiah was gonna come and solve. He didn't do that. I was reading a commentary by N.T. Wright and he was discussing about how the Jewish authorities would have viewed Jesus how they were handling the situation. He says this, first, they're trying to weigh the teachings of Jesus to see if he's sent from God or not. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're not just angry religious people that wanted power, they were actually trying to help people be good with God. So they're trying to weigh this guy's teachings, they're trying to weigh Jesus's teachings to see is this guy actually pointing people to God or away from God? They are not neutral observers. And yes, there's also a lot of pride and arrogance in their souls because they realize the people are following this guy as the new rabbi and they're not listening to them anymore. When faced with prophecy, national crisis, or huge challenges to an entire way of life because Jesus is challenging the status quo, as they're weighing up all of Jesus' teachings and his body of works, they have settled in their minds. Think about this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they have settled it in their minds. There are certain things that if Jesus does these things, not only have we therefore concluded, concluded he is not from God, he's a danger and a menace to society, but we will never believe in him. So they've, they've built up inside themselves this entire case against Jesus and they have labeled him as a deceiver. Why? Because he told a paralyzed man on the Sabbath day to get up, carry his mat, and walk. You see, only God could bring ultimate definition to what was okay or not okay on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was God's law. That was God's day. That was a sacred and holy day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they believed, hey, we have clearly defined what is okay and not okay on the Sabbath day. 
I mean, this guy that Jesus healed had been paralyzed for 38 years. Surely he could wait one more day and heal him the next day. What's the big deal, right? But no, Jesus intentionally walked into the pool of Bethesda and healed a man paralyzed 38 years, then told him to get up and carry his mat, which was a breaking of the pharisaical regulation around Sabbath. It was not actually breaking the law. But because Jesus did that and because they believed that Jesus was teaching the people uh, a way of life that was leading them away from God, the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, we have to kill him. He's dangerous. He's claiming to be God. He's leading people away from the Sabbath day regulations. We have to get rid of this man. But here's the question, and here's what we have to wrestle with today. Was Jesus just crazy? Or is there something deeper going on? There's this amazing part near the end of chapter seven, and I wanna read it because it says this. In verse 32, it says, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. Is he a good man? Is he a deceiver? Is he a prophet? Is he possessed by a demon? They're all coming up with their opinions of Jesus. And so they sent officers to arrest him. They sent officers to arrest him. And then down in verse 45, the officers go with the full intention to arrest Jesus and bring him back to the religious leaders. Now imagine this, they're under authority. These are military officers under authority and they show up and they hear Jesus talking. They hear him teaching and they see the crowds listening. And here's what it says, they come back Okay, verse 45, the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? Where is he? You were supposed to go and arrest that guy and get him out of there. He's leading the people astray. And the officers answered, no one has ever spoken like this man before. We, we, we tried. We showed up and tried, but the words that he was saying, they pierced our hearts. I, we couldn't arrest him. You go arrest him if you want to arrest him. We've never heard anyone talk like this before. Yeah, we know he's saying some crazy stuff about being God and about being the life of the world, but he's also saying some things that are absolutely true and piercing our hearts. G.K. Chesterton came up with this brilliant analogy he, talking about a lock and a key, and it, it reminded me of a situation that I found myself in when we were moving from Georgia, um, I'm sorry, from Kentucky to Georgia after I finished seminary. Um, we, we did it in two trips. Um, it's about a six-hour drive from Lexington to Atlanta, so think from you know, about here to L.A., something like that. And I remember um, we had two keys to the front door of our house that we were renting in Kentucky. And one of those keys had gotten lost. It was the key that was on my keychain. And it was, I had put it at one point under the mat for somebody else who was dog sitting or something for us to use. And then it never came back again. The other key to the front door was on my wife's keychain. 
So I rent a U-Haul, I grab a buddy, and we drive six hours to Kentucky to finish loading up the house and then bring it all back. And right as I'm walking up to the front door, it hits me. The key to open this door is on my wife's keychain. And I'm praying, just praying. I got a bunch of keys on the keychain, but I'm like, dear Lord, just please say somehow in some miracle, I found that key at some point. And I forgot about finding it and I put it back on my keychain. Let one of these keys work. I tried six keys, not a single one of them worked. We then walk around the entire house and we're trying to figure out how do we break into this house? Is it worth it to break a window and then pay to get the window repaired? Do I have my wife overnight the key and we just sleep in the back of the U-Haul or go get a hotel room? I don't know, I was a seminary student, no money. And so we're trying to figure out what to do. And I look at my buddy, Chris, and I'm like, Chris, the last time I saw my key was under this doormat. Uh, let's just search all the bushes, the grass, everything around the front door and see if we can find it. And sure enough, about 15, 20 minutes later, there was a key in the mulch beside the front door. And it was like, please, let this be the one, you know. You're putting it in, click, and it turned. And the door opened. Praise Jesus, right? And what struck me, what G.K. Chesterton said is he goes, look, if there is a lock that is opened by a key, the only explanation is that the key was made for the lock. I wouldn't just assume if I found a key in the mulch by my front door that just so happened to work and open the deadbolt on my front door, I wouldn't just assume that some random human on the planet dropped a key there that just so happened to work on my front door. I would assume that was the key that I lost for my front door. The same is true for the teachings of Jesus. What those guards experienced, what everyone experienced when they heard Jesus teach was like a lock going into the, the heart of the, like a key going into the lock of the human heart and opening it up. It was like, we have now found what we were made for. It's like we're listening to the words of our creator. We've never heard anyone speak like this. These are the words of life. Somehow this is opening up something inside of me that is helping me to see the truth of who he is. And friends, that's what happened every time Jesus taught. And John 17, verse 17 says this. Jesus says, anyone who wants to do the will of God will know, anyone who is looking for God, that is searching for the key, that is looking for truth. Anyone that wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or merely my own. If you want to find God, he's there for the taking. He is there to be found. And Jesus, his teachings, they're the key that unlock the door of the human heart. Something deep within us resonates with Jesus' teachings and Jesus' life. There's a tenderness without any weakness. There is strength without any harshness. There's humility without any lack of confidence. There is a holiness in Jesus, an unbending conviction without any lack of approachability. 
He's unbending in his conviction, yet he says, come to me all. There's unhesitating authority, yet zero self-assertion or self-promotion. There is tremendous courage, yet with the utmost sensitivity and tenderness of spirit, he he knocks down the self-prideful and the self-important ones, those who are self-reliant and don't believe they need God, and he shows them their need, and yet he is so winsome and uplifting towards the broken brokenhearted. There is nobody who has ever been like Jesus. There is no influential person in the history of the world who did the things Jesus did and claimed the things Jesus claimed. And that's why Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He's the visible image of the invisible God. It's like when you go outside to look at a, a solar eclipse, you know, In the middle of the day, they give you those really hardcore glasses to look at them. If you just put them on, it's blackout. But if you put them on and you look at the sun, you can watch the solar eclipse happen. Jesus is the very thing that we can look at because we can't bear the sight of God. No human can look at God and live. Jesus is like the lens through which we see the very essence of God. He's the lens through which we see the very essence of the Son itself. But friends, so often, the world looks at Jesus very casually. I like his teachings, good teachings. Love your enemy as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's a lot of teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Live generously, be humble, live with purity. He teaches against anger. He teaches against pride. His teachings have literally stood the test of time for thousands of years. They have crossed over into every border, every language, every tribe, every people group. These teachings are so profound that they're like the lock, the key that unlocks every human heart and every culture across the planet. And yet so many of us, when we think about Jesus, we say, I love your teachings, but I don't like the fact that you claim to be God. I love some of the truth that you bring to the world, but I don't like all of it. You can keep part of the truth over there. You know, I love the fact that you invite everyone to come to you, that you say all are welcome, all who are hungry, weary, thirsty, come to me, but then you say things like, you're the only way back to the Father. So it's kind of like saying, okay, come in Jesus, but stay out Christ. You can't do that, right? <laughs> this is a ridiculous video, but it came to mind when I was thinking about this. I want to share with you, with you, and I got his permission before I shared this video. It's a video of my son when he was uh, 10, year, uh, 10 months old. 10 or 11 months old, probably, Sawyer. Oh, six months old. Okay, way off. Six months old. Um, and he is, he's eating peas and carrots for the very first time. And I just want you to experience this moment. This is one of my favorite videos of all time of my son. Check this out. You see yourself? Okay, ready? <gasps> mm. what, what, what's that? Here we gotta do. 
You don't like it? Come here. I want to just go to that last face one more time. <laughs> Friends, so often there are moments when we're reading the Bible, when we're reading the New Testament, where we say, man, this resonates. He, it's like Peter when he says, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You, you are the life giver. You're what the human heart was made for, is longing for. And, and yet there are certain things within the Christian worldview, within the narrative of what Jesus is teaching that we're like, oh, I, I like all of this, but that right there, man, that tastes like some nasty peas and carrots and I don't want it. I don't want it. It might be good for me. It might be what I need, but I don't want it. Doesn't taste very good. Come in, Jesus, stay out, Christ. Come in, Savior, stay out, Lord. Come in, teacher, stay out, God. Friends, as we dive into who Jesus is and as you read through John chapter seven, you see all of this confusion and people seeking to arrest him. They can't arrest him. Is he a prophet? Is he Messiah? Is he a good man? Is he a good teacher? Is he a demonized, crazy person? Who is Jesus? But what it all boils down to is simply this, and this is why you can never say of Jesus, he's just a great moral teacher or a good man. It's something that I said earlier. You see, a prophet, a great moral teacher says, there's the way. That's the way to truth. That's the way to life. Go get it. There's the ladder. Go climb it. That's the way to God, run down that path. Jesus comes and says, I am God. I am the way. The prophets say, there is a God, and this is what he wants you to do. Jesus says, I am the image of the invisible God. I was there in the beginning with God. Not only am I the word, the logos of God, but I am God in the flesh. The prophets and the teachers will point and say, that's how you reach God, that's how you get to him. Jesus says, I've already done everything you need to reach the Father. The prophets say, there's the way. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus says, look, you'll never get there if it was just up to a prophet or a teacher to show you the way. Every other religion on the planet has some version some different version of, here's the moral code, the ethical code, the religious system that you have to follow and obey if you wanna get right with God. Jesus is the only one who comes along and says this, you can't do it. That's why I'm here. You need God to get back to God. You need God to cross the divide between humanity and heaven. 
Only God can do that. That's why I'm here. I'm the image of the invisible God. I've come not just to give you a list of rules and to show you the way to God. I've actually come to take the punishment for sin and death and rebellion so that you can have life. I've come to take it upon myself so that you may live. Sad thing is this, in the name of tolerance, we have ripped the guts out of Christianity. In the name of tolerance, just to say he's a good moral teacher, he's got some good ideas, some good philosophies about how we should live and treat one another, but we're just gonna shelve all the things that he says about being the way, the truth, and the life. That's, that's way too controversial. And in the name of tolerance, let's just leave that on the shelf. Let's just hold on to the good things he says and let's just throw away all the crazy stuff that it seems like he says. But that's not how it works with Christ. There are no fence sitters with Christ. It's an all or nothing proposition. It says, all are welcome. Come one, come all, come all who are thirsty to drink. Come all who are hungry. I will give you living bread from heaven by which you will live forever. But you must love me with your whole heart. You must worship me as your creator. I am the God man. I'm the only one worthy of your allegiance and your worship, and it's only through full allegiance to Christ and full faith in him that you can have eternal life. He is the only hope of salvation. He is it. And so friends, the call to us today from John 7, as we see people arguing over who Jesus is, wondering could he be the Christ, the, key, the clear call to us today is simply this. Will you receive all of Christ? Will you say, come into my life, Jesus, not just as teacher, but as Lord, not just as healer, but as sovereign creator, not just as the one that I want you to be, but all of who you actually are. Friends, our morality isn't enough. Our good deeds are not enough. And Jesus was not a demon-possessed crazy man. He was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God in the flesh sent to save and to rescue you and I. And our response is simply to believe that he is who he says he was. And so friends, we're gonna close our time today by taking communion together. And I wanna give an invitation to you today. If you've never put your faith in Christ, to believe, maybe for the first time, to put your faith in him and to believe. And if that's you, if, if you're someone who says, you know, I've said, come in, Savior, stay out, Lord. 
but I want to put my faith in him as Lord and Savior. I want to follow his ways and his teaching with all my heart. I believe that he died for my sins and rose from the dead. I would invite you now to pray with me. Just a simple prayer from your heart, putting your faith in Christ. Let's pray together before we take communion. If that's you in your heart today, I just want you to pray something like this. Just say, Lord, thank you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Say to him, Jesus, I, I don't just accept you as a good teacher or a good man. I believe you are God. I believe you're the savior of the world. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins and then you rose from the dead three days later. And do your heart cling to him by faith. Say to him in your heart, I believe that by faith in you, I have new life in Christ. Friends, if you prayed that prayer today, we would love to give you a gift we have Bibles for you. We'd love to give you a Bible. We'd love to connect with you to help you in your journey of faith. Please see any one of our volunteers at one of our welcome tents. If you'd like to pray with somebody at our prayer walls, we have those up and available in the back of the room. But right now we are going to take communion together and we're gonna remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We're gonna remember that it was his body that was broken for us on the cross and his blood that was shed so that we can have forgiveness of sins. Let's take communion now together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.